Hello, and welcome to Dice Don't Die, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition podcast. Hello, welcome to Dice Don't Die's Deep Dive. Today we are continuing our discussion of the vast expanse of existence outside of Galarian. That's right, we're discussing more of the cosmos. Not the multiple PBS series featuring Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson, but the wonderful worlds of Pathfinder and Starfinder that Paizo has created for all of us to know and love. I'm here tonight with uh, Beth. Hello. And Sarah. Hi. And I guess I'm David. I should have said that at the start, but here we are. We know now. Mm-hmm. Well, before we get into all of the cosmos, uh, I thought we could talk about what happened last Tuesday, which our dear listeners may not know, but those of you on the call do. Mm-hmm. Uh, last Tuesday, we finished mostly. We have a few, like, conversations to have uh, with NPCs, but for the most part, we finish book two. Of of Age of of Ashes. Ashes. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep, finish book two of Age of Ashes. So book two of the Wheel of Time series. We have a book club. We're not... No. There's only 47 more to go. No, you you cannot get me to read that series. Thank you. Uh, anyway. So I thought I would check in with you guys and see how book two went. Um, I could give some tips to some GMs. Uh, but I did want to put a big old spoiler flag warning. Saying, hey, we're going to talk about what happens at the end of Age of Ashes. Hey guys, we're going to talk about what happens at, at the end of book two of Age of Ashes. So if you don't want to listen to that, you should skip ahead to some amount of time in the future. Thanks. Uh, so yeah, not my favorite. <laughs> not my favorite book. Definitely not my favorite second book in a series. Um, I guess I feel- before I before I get started, I want to hear from you guys. Okay. So I feel like, um, yeah, it was like a training arc. You know, we did a lot of the same stuff. It was repetitive, but we leveled up. We met some neat people. Um, I think it was it was like pretty good. Um, there was a lot of contention about gold and whose gold it was and who can depoison the gold. Um, and then also like who we should and should not ruthlessly kill with abandon. But I don't think that was the book. I think that was the characters that we have chosen to play, mostly. So, um, overall, book two narrative, like, a little boring. But I think it's, it's like the grind portion of a video game where you're just, like, leveling up. I absolutely agree. It definitely felt like... We were running through the tall grass, uh, getting, you know, collecting all the Pokemons, 
so that we could level up. Yep. And I didn't like it. I did like the fact that it was much more clear what we were supposed to be doing than true. in the first book. That's that fair. is very true. And, you know, we, we we were given the, you know, go fight the pillars, go knock all the pillars right. down quest early on. And we just kept mm-hmm. finding more. You fought all the pillars. We, you found we, where they were harvesting gold. Although I cut... So, a couple of things to keep in mind while we're talking about this. I did make a few changes. I shortened part three. Not that that was a very long part anyway, but I did shorten it to essentially two sessions because it was too long. It was too much. Uh, I did a gauntlet-style fight with a lot of the enemies that culminated in the alchemist fight that's supposed to be at the end of that one. Um... The encounters were extreme. They weren't balanced, in my opinion. You know, you'd go from fighting a couple fairies and whooping their ass to fighting a a dragon and uh, getting your butt kicked. Yeah, I really thought Firethorn was gonna have to was gonna die there. I thought it was gonna have a TPK on that last fight. And if I had played the last fight correctly, I would have. I would have had a TPK. Well, I guess thanks for not doing that then. Well, uh, so in the final part, the chains weren't supposed to be able to be unlocked with thievery. You have to disable the trap. And the trap uh, activates when you enter the room. But that Uh... trap did so much damage. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. I really don't. Yeah. It it was supposed to target like uh well, whoever was closest when we entered the room. Uh yes. Hmm. Um do 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 a living creature that is not a member of the Cinder Claws enters the area. Um When it rolls initiative, it essentially has two laser beams that it targets different people with that do 8d6 fire damage. Pew pew! Yeah. Yeah, we would have been dead. Yeah, because that that was supposed to go off every round. What? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And we're level, we're like level 9 right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, plus How is you any level fight... 9 character supposed to survive that? <laughs> I, I have no idea. Uh, plus, you have to fight Belmazog, which is a custom character for that campaign. I really wish that there had been some more lead-up to Belmazog. Um, she's a really cool villain. Like, her backstory. But there's no way that you find out any of it, really. Like... Yeah, we just kind of showed up, and she was just there, and we were like, well, you look like someone who needs to die. So, uh, like, you guys can kind of put together that, like, she was the one who was erecting all of these pillars. Uh, You know that she was casting a spell in order to resurrect a hawk, because she had Dahawk's calcified skull. 
you know, mounted on a right. wall that shoots laser beams out of its uh, eye sockets. Um, but normal like, stuff. yeah, normal stuff. Uh, but yeah, it. She she's a cool villain, but not a lot of build up, which is fine. Like, it's book two. But compared to book one, where we had a high ponytail chick, I can't Foz. remember her name. Foz, thank you. There was a little bit of buildup with Foz. And I just didn't feel like the buildup for Belmazog was as good. Well, we just didn't know that she was a person. Really. <laughs> True. True. Yeah, we we we'd never seen her. She was just in that room chanting, as far as I knew, for the past four weeks. Correct. Yeah. So Nigel didn't get to sneak under her door in the form of a cockroach. Yeah, true. That is true. Um. Obviously, we know that there is some. balance issues in this adventure path because it was made at the same time that uh, second edition was being produced. So, like, there wasn't a lot of... I, I would say that there were a lot of problems balancing. Um, with that being the case, um, I don't know. I'd rate it 5 out of 10. Beth points. That seems fair. The Kuje were cool as shit, though. Yeah, love I, that. I really liked the first part of you guys going around the camp and, like, meeting all the people, meeting the Kuje, kind of getting to know them. I thought that was cool. Proving our worth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked, you know, how it... I, I, I guess I, I assume it maybe it, it actually mentioned this or, or maybe you did this on your own. Like it kind of threw back to the party with the goblins we had after the uh huh after what's his name the the halfling guy I don't mean Calmont Calmont mm -hmm. that was years ago yeah <laughs> it feels that way mm -hmm. so yeah the callback to the goblin party was. Not something that was written in, because that goblin party that you guys had wasn't written in. Okay. So that was just something that I built upon. But it's something that I like to do, right? Like, when you're interacting with local groups, I feel like one of the best ways to do so is over food. Mm-hmm. Um... So, I liked that aspect of it. I liked that we had Renali stay with you guys. Uh, which is a kind of interesting choice, but I felt like it fit. She was able to do some things while you guys were trekking through the jungle. Um, it reminded me of, like, when, uh... Europeans would go into the jungle and they would hire like a local to take them through. Mm -hmm. That's what it reminded me of, only much more ethical. <laughs> Amicable. <laughs> yeah, like she was 
she was your friend. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of hate to make this comparison, but it's like Jar Jar Binks leading mm-hmm. the Jedi around in episode one. Yeah. I can yeah. see. Man. I can see. I, I thought you were going to say something way different than that. I approve <laughs> of this. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it, I think it's a a right comparison. Now, hopefully, she doesn't c- continue that same story arc and then uh, unwitting unwittingly uh, vote Palpatine as the supreme leader. Right. That would be. But bad. you know what? We'll see. We'll see how book three goes. True. I have only skimmed book three. Is it really leaving him. us to like go home though? Yes. At, at the end of this book. She is going to go home. Because, like, we're closer to her home, but she still has to travel there, right? She does, yes. Yeah. Um, the end of this book definitely leaves it kind of ambiguous of what's going to happen in book three. Like, at the end of book two, there is no, like, well, this is where we're going next. No, where you're yeah. going next is just back home. We don't hop into another portal? There's not you, more portals to discover? Find, there definitely are, but um, you find some evidence of the Scarlet Triad, which is who Vaz was working with. Um, so you guys will find that. Um, that's one of the little threads. But, like, other than, like, you don't know much about the Scarlet Triad. So, like, them being the power behind two of your foes now is kind of the the drive for the next adventure path, or next module. hmm But, yeah, if you go to the forums, you're going to see a lot of people talk about some of these things. Uh, I would say a couple tips as a GM. Oh, uh, rewrite that last fight. Uh... Unless you're trying to TPK. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, or, you know, if you really think that your players can handle it, um, go for it. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the advice that I would give. Um, the other dragon fight, what was that thing? A beta? Yep. I would nerf the beta. That's a hard fight. Um, even if it is one of the last fights that you do at that level, it's still your, like, level 8. And it's, it's a tough fight. Um, for sure. So just be aware of that. I'm trying to think of any really tough fights. I think it was mostly the beta. Yeah. And that last one, but that, I pre-nerfed Yeah, the last one. Well, and, and then on the beta, you um, gave us some help, essentially. So we found okay. some NPCs. Yep. Who uh, you guys will find out have made a return. Yes. They, they came and helped the QJ, um fight off the cultists. Yes, please. I love them. As did the kobolds. But yeah, I, um... 
I, I would definitely read through uh, the forums. There's some good advice on there. Um, and I would just tweak a few things, honestly. Oh, I, um, I would just like to say that uh, if anyone didn't catch it, this seems to be a point of, of contention in our group. But, like, um, there's a lot of fire. And there's a lot of people who are immune to fire damage. So if it wasn't clearly foreshadowed by the campaign name, maybe don't take a lot of fire damage spells. Or, like, weapons. Or, like, stuff. Also, it really helps if you don't have a member who's irrationally hateful of all things that slightly resemble dragons because it's very hard to talk to them when your barbarian is trying to like spike chain them in the face yes but i would also say that it's not uh irrational i think it's a legitimate uh thing um and will definitely come up in the next book so yeah but it is absolutely a thing like that has been a point of contention since book one uh but i mean it's called of age of ashes and you know there's a gold dragon involved he's doing things so yeah um I would say, of all of the ones that I've played, this isn't the worst. That's good. But it's <laughs> definitely it's good to hear that. As, as a person whose first adventure path this is, encouraging. Yeah, it's definitely not the best. I, I would say Extinction Cursed is better, for sure. Um, I'm on book three of Extinction Cursed, because we play every week. So we're going quite quickly. Um, we're on book three. And book three of that series is kind of the level up one. So we're collecting all the little side quests right now. And that part kind of is meh. Not my favorite. But overall, it's a better AP. Uh, better balanced. Um, the circus subsystem is interesting. I just think Age of Ashes as the, like, brand new product wasn't as polished as I would hope it would have been. So. Does Paizo ever go back and update their APs like they do their core rule book? Uh, with Arata, yeah. I mean, call it a rat or not, but you know, if if they determine that, oh, this fight is way too crazy at this, you know, at this level, do they ever go back and? Um, I'm lower stuff? I'm sure that they have, but I can't think of a time. Okay. Not where a, a a major, not something major like that. No. Okay. Uh, I will say there's a fight in. There's a couple of fights in Extinction Curse that were also a little over-tuned. Um, but we were able to handle them still. Uh, 
they have rewritten some of the first adventure paths that have come out, but they came out under the 2.5 open gaming license. So they were just updated to the Pathfinder rule set. So I don't think I don't think they're gonna do anything like that. It'd be cool to see like uh some of the first adventure paths come out, like be re released for second edition, but it's not like it's not something that I'm looking for right now. Makes sense. Especially because they come out with so many APs. Uh, that are very good. Um, I have only a passing interest in running uh, what's it called? The next one after Extinction Curse. The one where you're in Absalom. Edgewatch? Yeah, Agents of Edgewatch. That's right. Uh, I only have a passing interest in that, but I do have some friends who want me to eventually run it. So I'm currently, like, looking at what I would change, stuff like that. Um, but the two newest ones that have come out have really piqued my interest. Um, the Vaults is the name of one of them, and then Fist of the Ruby Phoenix, which is the fighting tournament one. Uh, which is three modules. Um, we talked about possibly taking a break and playing through that one. So that should that could be really fun. So I'm kind of kind of meh on Age of Ashes, honestly. I wouldn't I wouldn't say don't play it, like but just be aware of it when you run it. That seems like good advice. But enough on that, I think. I think it's time to go back into what we were talking about last week. So, in case you don't remember, I'm going to give you a brief rundown of what we went out over last week. Also, I wasn't here last week, so this will be good for me, too, because I didn't do the assigned reading. You have the inner planes. Oh, first, David said something in our intro. That is technically incorrect, and I needed to correct him. I already failed? Darn it. You did. I'm sorry. Uh, so you said Pathfinder and Starfinder? Uh, but Starfinder is technically an alternate reality. They are technically not in the same cosmos. Similar. Mirrors of each other. Not even mirrors. Almost identical. But it's an alternate reality with an alternate timeline. Alright, it's 50-50 whether I decided to just cut that or not. <laughs> <laughs> of Both me of you explain- said Sagan again? Yeah. Aw. Instead of Carl Sagan. <laughs> Carl Sagan. My bad. But anyway, so... Uh, you have the inner planes, which is the material plane... And then fire, or excuse me, air, water, earth, and fire. Uh, Then you have the positive and negative planes, which are raw forces of creation and destruction, respectively. 
and then you have the outer planes, which are where the alignments manifest. So you have all of your angels, demons, that kind of stuff. And then you have the maelstrom, which is sort of the broth that floats between all of the different planes and kind of gnaws at their edges. Uh, and then we talked briefly about the boneyard. We're going to be going into that more in depth today. So let's, uh, and we also talked about the different types of planes. So today, that's kind of where we're starting. We are starting with the transitive planes. <sighs> this is a lot, guys. I'm sorry. As, <laughs> as an electrical engineer, I love transients, so this will be fun. So, uh, is, is it similar to the transitive property if, if plane A equals plane B and plane B equals plane C? Does plane no. A equals... No. Okay. This isn't math. Damn. I'm sorry. I know both of you are disappointed. I'm not. But it's definitely not math. So, we're going to talk about two of the four tr um, transitive planes. And then we're going to talk about the Boneyard. So, the plane that I want to start with today is the Ethereal Plane. And the Ethereal Plane... If we're using our soup metaphor, uh, it is the broth of the inner planes versus the maelstrom, which is the broth for the outer planes. The ethereal plane touches everything. It lays like a blanket over everything. So it overlaps the material plane, the positive and negative energy planes, all of the elemental planes. It, it's this blanket over them. And it's used by a lot of mages and magicians for spells. Uh, typically because space and gravity work different in the ethereal plane, you can use it for quick travel. So you'll see a lot of teleportation spells talk about the ethereal plane. If we're thinking of it as a blanket kind of laying over each of the planes, it's something that touches every person and living thing. So that is something to think about when you're thinking about the ethereal plane. But it is its own space, right? It's like a it's like a nice coat of dust. Right, but it's its own thing. But it is, like, a nice layer of dust right over everything. Mm -hmm. So next up, you have the astral plane. And the astral plane is more of like a divider. But again, you can't think of these as absolute lines in the sand. Because there's always going to be a little bit of bleed through. Anytime you, you talk about any of these planes. So, in this case, the astral plane is the lid on our pot. It is what separates the inner from the outer planes. 
And when we talk about the astral plane, it we tend to think of it as a kind of a misty um silver sea. That's another uh something that people call it. Um is the sil- uh, the silver sea. So it's this giant plane that wraps around all of the inner planes as a as a divider. Um it's like icing on a cake. It keeps all the moisture in the cake. N- you know, nothing's getting out. Is 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 it like wrapping on a huge dumpling where the dumpling is all of the inner plane stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the outer plane soup? I think we're all hungry. <laughs> I think if we, I think we've been recording these episodes while we're I hungry. I think that's what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, yeah, no, actually, that's a pretty good, pretty good way of thinking about it. So this is uh, the space between, but it still touches uh, everything. So, like, because the fire plane is the outermost plane, uh, there's a lot of bleed through in the fire plane with the uh, astral plane. It's a hot dumpling. You got to cool it off before you bite in. Yeah, exactly. Those are two of our transitive planes, right? The ethereal plane, dust over everything, used for spells, used for quick travel. The astral plane is the barrier between the inner and the outer planes. The, you can kind of think of the gateway as the boneyard. So the boneyard is Phrasma's plane of existence. And we're going to be talking here in a bit about the River of Souls. But I wanted to kind of get a, a basis for what the boneyard is before we went into the River of Souls. So the boneyard is Phrasma's court. It has uh, eight factions within it each corresponding to the other planes of the outer sphere. And when judgment is passed on a soul, it is then given to whatever plane matches that judgment. So what ends up happening, and it's kind of cool, you actually get to, to see some of this, in the Adventure Path Tyrant's Grasp, which is the last Adventure Path in 1st Edition. So you get to see some of this, and it's actually really, really cool. Uh, when a soul enters the Boneyard and is judged, right, like, the different courts can vie for that soul. So, like, the devils are like, no, we want it! And the angels are like, no, it's a righteous soul! It must come with us! Is there lobbying? And, is there lobbying yeah. going on? Yeah, definitely. To to get people's souls. Uh huh. Yeah, absolutely. But Phrasma judge Phrasma's judgment is final. So whatever she judges you as, that's where you're going. 
you can uh there are like other options other than just the different outer planes but usually it's a bad thing <laughs> uh but yeah so that's that's the boneyard uh that is the realm of the psychopomps as well so if you all remember when we were talking about the bestiaries we were yeah, talking yeah. about the psychopomps they are the ones who guide the souls through this process true neutral beings um who all they all, they just want to do their jobs that's all they want they just work here exactly yes don't speak to their manager ma'am this is a wendy's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's it's not a Wendy's, it's the afterlife. Uh, and the manager is actually Grotus, and he will mess you up, so... Don't want to talk to the manager. Or Phrasma. I guess if you talk to the manager's manager, that's Phrasma. Kinda. But anyway. Probably still don't want to talk to them. No, I mean, they're deities, so... No, no, I really don't want to talk to them. Although Phrasma is one of my favorite deities. Like, the goddess of death, but, like, true neutral and, like, hates the undead. Like, oh, you want to try to escape my domain? Excuse me? Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, in a, another campaign, I play a dwarven paladin of Phrasma. I love it. I love it. Just beating the undead all day long. So if we have the ethereal plane, we have the astral plane, and we have the boneyard, it's now time to talk about the River of Souls. Because the River of Souls, just like a river in real life, passes through all of these places. So, we're actually, bef before we talk about the River of Souls, we have to talk about what is a soul in Pathfinder. So again, just, just to clarify, one, I am talking about specifically in Pathfinder. This does not necessarily apply to your D&D campaign. And two, this is not real life. I am not talking about human souls. Okay? We cool? Although I guess, like, you're allowed to believe what you want, so if you want to adopt this as your official mythology, like... That's fine, just don't come at me. Yeah. Just don't, don't be coming at me on Twitter, and that's fine. Like, just, just you, don't involve Beth in it, like... Exactly. I, I don't want... I don't want to be a cult leader. That's really what this comes down to. <laughs> I really don't want to be a cult leader. Alright, anyway, so... A soul is something that is created in the positive energy plane and then is transferred to the material plane to inhabit a body. This can be human, orc, uh, android, doesn't matter. They all, all asterisk, 99.99% of souls 
come from uh, the positive energy plane, which is like the forces of creation. So that makes sense, right? I think it does. Volatile, rampant creation. So souls come from the positive uh, plane, inhabit body, that person lives their life, they die. Their soul now enters the river of souls. And this is the path, again, 99.9% of people are going to follow. Of course, it is interesting to say that because, like, obviously your campaign may do something different or you know your characters may have a special journey because your characters are special right that's the whole plot point behind any adventure path your characters are special or have taken on a special task so there may be something different especially if we're talking about titan's grasp where you literally wake up in the boneyard obviously not river of souls Anyway, disclaimers aside. You live your life, you die. Your soul immediately passes into the ethereal plane. So that layer of dust. You and all of the souls from the material plane uh, that have entered the ethereal plane travel through the elemental planes. Because again... The ethereal plane touches all of the elemental planes. So you're still in, technically, you're still in the ethereal plane, but you're traveling through those planes to get to the astral plane. Uh, once you get through the astral plane, you enter the boneyard. Now, this is quite a journey, obviously. Like, you're traveling through multiple planes of existence. Uh, what's really interesting to me is who do you think guards those souls as they travel through the River of Souls? With the psychopomps, right? No, it's not. I, it, right. it would make sense if it was the psychopomps, but no. The psychopomps help you once you're in the boneyard. No. It's is actually... It magical? Is it magical otters? Oh, that'd be so cool, but no. Right? Oh, okay. It's actually angels, demons, and the like. Because, again, they want your souls to come to their plane of existence. And so they protect the river of souls from the things that can uh, steal your souls away. Are they, like, handing you flyers on the way? Like, hey, come, come to our realm when, you know... Right. Don't forget to mention that one time you stole from this person. It'll, that'll right. get you, it'll get you in, in. No, you're absolutely right. I, that's exactly how I imagined it. Uh, is, like... All of these 
lawful and chaotic beings just guarding the river, handing out pamphlets, being like, don't forget to vote. But what they really mean is don't forget to vote for my candidate or my realm. You know what I mean? Yes. But it, it, yeah, no, that's absolutely how I picture it. Uh, so once the souls get to the boneyard, they are judged. Uh, then, so technically the River of Souls ends there, but a soul's journey is not over. Because once it is judged, it is sent to the plane of existence, so it goes through the maelstrom. There are a couple of creatures I wanted to mention that prey at the River of Souls. So, night hags are probably going to be what most people have heard of. So, night hags actually sell souls. Like, human souls are their currency. Uh, and, and it's what they feed off of. So, uh, night hags obviously uh, want to steal your soul. But the coolest thing, or at least I think so, uh, is the Astra Daemon, uh, which are these, like, evil creatures that feed on souls. Uh, Yikes. Yeah. They're essentially the hated enemies of the psychopomps. And they look like anthropomorphic uh, anglerfish. Ooh. Uh, they're also a level 16 creature, so you don't want to fight one. Just FYI. Like, if we're thinking about things that we want to fight, this ain't it. This ain't it, Chief. Nope. Definitely not. So, any questions so far? Okay. All right. Cle clear as, as soup. Clear as soup. Yeah, that's... That sounds about right. So now I want to talk about the last two transitive planes. Because we, we talked about the ethereal plane. We talked about the astral plane. I want to talk about the first world. Because the first world got done dirty. And I will die on that hill. The first world, described by multiple entities was a first draft of the material plane. So yeah. the deities got together, crafted a realm next to the realm of positive energy, right? The energy of creation molded everything and was like, okay, we have learned a lot here. Now we're going to go make our actual realm in the center of the cosmos. I respect that, honestly. Uh, but, like, 
the first world is now uh, completely left out of the loop. Because they don't... They don't participate in the River of Souls. So, the people of the first world, known as the Fae, just don't die. I, I'm failing to see how this is a bad thing. Um, well, they call it the Great Abandonment. So, they view it as a bad thing. So, they've got some mommy issues. Yeah, oh, definitely. 100%. The Fae 100% have mommy issues. Uh, so, First World, which is where the gnomes and the, uh, had originally come from, it, it, it's really cool, right? Like, it's the Fae realm. Nature doesn't work the same there, obviously. This is where we can put a lot of, like, human mythology in the Pathfinder universe, which is great. I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. But the way that they explain it is all because it's next to the positive energy plane. And so, like, things are just chaotic. And I just kind of love that. But, I feel like, like everybody needs a little bit more chaos. First World does not. It's got okay, first, first World, no. Everyone else. That's yes. true. Um, so, yeah. That's... Uh, that is the First World. It is... Um, kind of outside everything. But I'm pretty sure is still within... Uh, or not within, but the ethereal plane still, like, goes over it. But the River of Souls does not pass through. Finally, we have the Shadow Plane. And this just gets weird. So the Shadow Plane is a mirror of the Material Plane. But not. It's an imperfect mirror. So the shadow plane is everything that's in the material plane, but twisted, corrupted, or in shadow in some way. Uh, the shadow plane overlaps with the material plane. Uh, and kind of, again, if, if we're thinking of an onion, right, we have the material plane, we have the shadow plane surrounding it, but the ethereal plane is circling both of them. So, that's where a lot of the metaphors kind of just break down a little bit, because... All of these planes kind of touch each other. I mean, the, the shadow plane is... It's like it's occupying the same space, right? No, it's not. No? Okay. No. It, it is technically its own plane of existence, right? Because that's when we're determining what a plane is. It is its own space. 
that is one of the characteristics is like they can bleed over to each other a little bit, but the plane itself is its own space, even though it is a mirror or, or it, that it lays over. All of those are ways that our brain is trying to comprehend what it's actually doing. Have I confused you? I, I, I think I've got it. Yeah. Okay. The shadow plane acts as a buffer between us and the negative energy plane. And that is why it is an imperf imperfect mirror. Why it is twisted or corrupted is because of its proximity to the shadow plane. Kind of like First World, uh, but First World isn't described as a buffer, uh, but its proximity to the positive energy plane makes it chaotic uh, and wild, almost. This is destructive uh, because of the shadow plane. So, which is, out, again, outside of the the planar planar structure okay only a ton confusing i mean we're only dealing with like 12 different dimensions and well funny that you say dimensions because we're actually <sighs> dimensions are their own thing and we're gonna go over them now oh there's another metaphor broken down yeah because remember dimensions uh, as i said last time Dimensions are their own thing. Now, you have a lot of what we call pocket dimensions or demi-planes. So these are small pockets of space. So again, uh, the whole thing about planes are they are their own space. They do not take up space in the material plane. So the best example I have of that is a bag of holding. When we're talking about a demiplane or a pocket of space, a, a, people who have played in the genre have heard of bags of holding, right? Yep. It doesn't, like, it always stays the same size, but you can put, you know, 2,000 pounds in it because it's its own little pocket dimension. In this case, literally in your pocket. Uh, well, I would like everyone to briefly just think about cargo pants of holding. I mean, I didn't need to think about that, but now I am. You're welcome. So, I want it. <laughs> I want that in a game now. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, just hope that no enemy picks you up and holds you upside down. Otherwise, all that stuff's going to fall out. Hey. That's if you're if you don't reseal the button. Yeah, I was like, what kind of cargo pants are you wearing that all of the pockets are just open all the time? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, enough. but it, they're all in their own pocket dimensions. Obviously. Man, I really want that now. I really want cargo pants of holding. I'm sure somebody's made it somewhere. I hope so. It. All right, anyway, there are two dimensions that are 
widely accepted in the Pathfinder universe as their own planes, but outside of the planar structure. So, where I was talking about the shadow plane, still, the ethereal plane still loops around these. These two dimensions I'm going to talk about are outside of that. So they, the ethereal plane, doesn't encompass them. But they still touch the material plane in some fashion. So those two dimensions are uh, the dimension of time uh, and the dimension of dreams. Uh, which dimension, the dimension of dreams is like my absolute favorite. Um, but let's talk about time first. Because the dimension of time is really weird. It's where a lot of, um, like... Beings of absolute power and chaos come from the time dimension. Uh, it is described as images moving so fast you can't focus because it's so many timelines uh, playing out at the same moment. Uh, so swirling images. Every person who travels to the dimension of time kind of describes it as a different experience. So it's really hard to kind of nail down what it is. Uh, but the best way to think of it is kind of how it plays out in the Marvel movies. Of, you know, the, the Avengers only win in one timeline. And we have to make that the actual timeline. Uh, but then everybody keeps all of their memories because it was a thing that they experienced. Right. Yeah, the dimension of time is just that convoluted. Like, same, same type of thing. Uh, where the Sorcerer, Sorcerer Supreme is looking through all the different timelines. That is the dimension of time. Or is it like Matthew McConaughey at the end of Interstellar and there's something about a library? I don't I didn't watch that. <laughs> I did. Yeah, sure. We'll say yes. Um but then you have what is possibly my favorite plane of existence, and that is the dreamland. And I really loved the idea of the dreamland. Because this wasn't something created by the deities. This wasn't something that was created by the positive energy plane. It was, it, it was created and is sustained by the dreams of mortals. The idea that mortal minds created a plane to go to to dream is just mwah, for me. Especially as a GM, right? Because that's where nightmares come from. That's, you know, you have a lot of creatures that can attack from the dreamlands. 
But the idea that... So one of the uh, descriptions compared it to an ocean, and I just love that. So when you're sleeping, when your character is sleeping and having a dream of some sort, they're in... Their, their soul is touching the dreamlands. And it describes that as a bubble on the ocean, like sea foam. All the dreams of mortals are these sea foam bubbles. And when you wake up, the bubble pops. And it's gone. But there's a whole ocean of dreams that have come before you. That influence your dreams now. And influence the mortal realm. The material plane. And I just love that so much. Like, the Dreamlands are really cool. Just one of my favorites. Um, so what about people who remember their dreams when they wake up? Yeah, it just means that you uh, take in a little bit of the Dreamlands with you. Not in a tangible way, but in a meaningful way. Especially because, like, that's part of your consciousness creating part of the dreamland. It's also where a lot of, like, uh, mythos, uh, or, like, Cthulhu, um, stuff, influences are placed. So, like, uh, the denizens of Lang. It's like sometimes when you read about um, Lang, uh, it is its own plane, and other times it's part of the dreamlands. So it's kind of up for debate whether or not that's actually dreamlands or not. But yeah, a lot of like influence from H.P. Lovecraft is put into uh the dreamlands gotcha so those are the the two dimensions that kind of sit outside of but influence the material plane and if that's not confusing i don't know what is so what I have here, uh, and the day that this episode goes up, make sure to look at our Twitter account, uh, because this image I'm about to show everybody will be up on Twitter. It's a terrible image, imperfect, uh, but the best way I have to describe it. So I've gone into paint. And drawn out how I imagine the cosmos looking. So, uh, because my artistic ability is about zero. So you have the material plane. Uh, oops. Uh, surrounded by, you know, the shadow plane, the ethereal plane. Well... Actually, the ethereal plane is this giant circle encompassing everything. Uh, then you have the river of souls passing through all the different planes of existence. 
you have this giant square that looks like a sensor bar. Uh, that's the boneyard. Uh, leading to... It needs to be more circles here. Do, 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 do. Leading to the different planes of existence uh, in the outer planes. Then you have the dimensions that are touching the material plane, but are not part of the planar structure. Convoluted? We're going to try to label everything as best we can, but also you're going to laugh when you look at this and know that Beth said the words, needs more circles. Yeah. Because there's a lot, a lot of circles. It doesn't make any sense. There is an image, um, I'll include it in the description of this episode. There is an image that was published in... Let me find it. Let me find the source. It was in the uh, Pyramid of the Sky Pharaoh, which is um, Mummy's Mask. Uh, a piece of artwork. Uh, I don't know if you guys can see this on my screen. Uh, but it describes it as well. I personally think it's a very confusing image. But it does exist. Um, fun stuff. So my question to you both is, do you understand planes better now than when we started? I, I do understand them better. But do I understand them? No. Yeah, Maybe. I'm getting, yeah, that's. I feel like that's an accurate way to portray it. Yeah. I, 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 I was on board thinking things were onions and then that was immediately shattered. So I, I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's real anymore. It's, it, it is very confusing. And I mean, again, I want to call back to what I said uh, last episode, which is, this is a narrative tool, right? Like, we need monsters to come from other places, or shit gets boring. So we need other planes of existence. That's totally fair. Yeah. That is the planar structure. Um, and like I said, I will, I will definitely include... My image will be tweeted out. For sure. You guys are gonna laugh. Uh, and then uh, this River of Souls map uh, on the Pathfinder wiki. I will uh, include that in the episode description. So what I want all of you to do, all of you on the call, all of you listening, I want to see your interpretations of what the, the cosmos looks like. I want to see your paint drawings that are just as crazy as mine. I feel like now that I've seen yours, like my brain has latched onto that idea and now it won't come up with its own ideas. 
that may be that may be true. Although I forgot, I did forget about something. Um, in there's these little diamonds, and these diamonds are meant to symbolize. Yeah, we'll try to get it labeled. I'm not gonna say that I am gonna label it. I might just tweet it as is. Make you guys see the craziness. Ah, yes, the abyss. The abyss is sprinkled out uh, throughout the uh, maelstrom, which is tan broth. Uh, so I included some abyss diamonds as well. It's very confusing. But the things that you need to know. Ethereal plane overlaps everything. The shadow plane is where uh, sha uh, shadows come from, like, essentially. Um, what else? Yeah. The Just first world got abandoned. The first world got abandoned. That's this pink circle here. The souls come from the positive plane. They do, which is uh, right here. Um, which I guess I need a line going from... Okay, wow, you do need labels, because I would have not called that the positive plane. Yeah, uh, it was supposed to be a different color than the negative plane, but I forgot. Here, let me see if I... Uh, I'll erase that and fix it. Uh, yeah, that's that's a positive plane. That's the... I'll see what I can do, guys. This picture is utter chaos. It's a good thing Twitter got rid of image cropping. <laughs> I feel like this needs to be accompanied by an equally large wall of text explaining everything. Yeah, I wish I had used all different colors. But... Here we are. I'll I'll clean it up and I'll post it to Twitter. To Twitter, it's like again. I'm not artistically inclined, so it's just whatever I can do in paint. But I think it makes sense. <laughs> I think so. You also made it, so like I, I did. I don't know how to describe it either. It's just. Utter chaos. This is a mess. Alright. That is all I have for planes. Now we can move on to trains and automobiles. No. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, I think we need to go back and touch on a couple more. Uh, B-Series 3 came out. So we need to touch on a few more beasts. And uh and then I don't know. We'll have to see where everything takes us. Maybe we'll do some more lore dumps. I don't know. Tell me on uh Twitter, on Instagram. What do you want to hear us talk about next? Also, please tell me how bad my drawing is. I'm totally fine with it. And then follow it up with better drawings that you've made. Please, yes, I need all of the drawings of the cosmos. 
Absolutely. To be fair, they all need to be done in MS Paint, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. We got to compare apples to apples here, obviously. Although there, people have made magic in MS Paint. I'm it's not even sure. true. Kidding. I've actually done some of like my best photo editing in MS Paint. I've done some of my best photo editing in PowerPoint. That's fair. PowerPoint has one of the best remove background tools that I've ever seen. Yeah. Tip for all you people. I think I mentioned that in the episode about uh, things I use for gaming. Uh, PowerPoint is always going to be on that list. But anyway, that's a tangent. David, do you want to take us out? Will do. So, did you get how all those planes, dimensions, and soup fit together to make up the cosmos? <laughs> Me neither. But the good thing is that it's all made up, and the points don't matter. So, feel free to leave any other info that uh, we may have missed on any of our socials. Uh, but we are out for the night. Just remember, dice don't die. But player characters do. Thanks for listening to Dice Don't Die. Hey, if you like what we do, please visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dice Don't Die. Or email us at DiceDon'tDiePod at gmail.com. The intro and outro song, Crunk Night, were created by Kevin McLeod. More of his work, and the work of many others, can be found royalty-free at filmmusic.io. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next adventure.